0: I don't know. I don't know. I think it was a setup. It was a setup. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Hello. (laughs) I think Craig went to Clown College, if I recall. Isn't it? (laughs) 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 Um, Congratulations, by the way, 25 years. My sister was married in the old chapel. I don't know what. What do you call that? Okay. (laughs) <laughs> pretty sharp. The old chapel in 1992, 18 years ago. So that was before, I believe, when was this built? George doesn't even know. 97, okay. Wow, incredible. So congratulations. Uh, that's very exciting. Uh, Todd has been just so gracious to give me an opportunity to share. Hi, Adam. Good to see you. Are you going to be sucking on that the whole time? I'm, okay. <laughs> Todd told me he always says this to me. He says, Keep it to 30 minutes. So I went back into the sermon archives <laughs> on, on your website and downloaded and listened to a couple of his uh, sermons on parables. And the average time was 45 minutes. So I learned something from Todd when I traveled, as many of us did in Israel together, you always follow the rabbi. So I'm going to follow the rabbi. So get comfortable. <laughs> Here we go. No, I'm just kidding great to see you guys again i get to go into one of the shorter parables and i don't know if that's because todd didn't want me to handle one of the longer ones or because he wanted you out of here in time because i didn't know it was a broncos game this morning so bless you for being so faithful um even though some of you might have any a headset in while i'm preaching if you go yeah i'll just assume that's because you heard something and god's doing something okay i'll just assume that um I want to get into the text this morning. We are doing the Joy of Discovery, which is two of the shortest parables of Jesus, and they're also uh, exclusive to Matthew's gospel. And if you, so if you have a Bible, why don't you turn to Matthew 13, and I want to kind of get a little bit of a running start here in terms of this passage. In Matthew 13, 3, it says that Jesus spoke many things to them in parables. Now, we're going to see how that changed from the earlier time recorded of Jesus' ministry in Matthew. But then we get to chapter 13. He began to speak these parables to those who were following him. And the, par- the, the disciples, of course, curious and, and maybe a little bit put out that he was beginning to change the way he communicated. He was starting to use parables. He goes, they come up to him and ask him, why, in verse, chapter 13, verse 10, why do you speak in parables? As if to say, Lord, I really enjoyed it when you were a little bit clearer. Although it was very common for a rabbi to teach in parables, but they're starting to wonder, why the change? Lord, are you trying to keep the message from those who really need to hear it? Um, Why all the riddles? Why all the metaphors? Why all the stories? Um, Are you saying that only smart people can understand you in order to enter the kingdom of heaven? Well, I think Jesus, of course, he explains himself, and I don't have it up on the screen, but I'd like to go back to the, the Matthew 13, verse 13, and read this, because Jesus, of course, now he begins to bring more of his inner circle into the message of, that he's teaching. He's saying it's not for them to understand. Those who will get, will get it will get it. But I want to explain to you why I'm doing this. And, of course, as Jesus often does, he alludes to the Old Testament prophecy, he goes back to Isaiah. In Matthew thirteen thirteen. he says, This is why, gentlemen, I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, that you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. The ears and the eyes, those organs, are worthless without the soul or the heart. It's our soul or heart that interprets all incoming information, and boy, do we get exposed a lot to that, to a lot of information today today. It determines the value of that information, and it either receives it or it rejects it. Our soul, in other words, it collates all of the data that we receive through our five senses. It processes it, then it prioritizes it, and then it acts upon it or rejects it. That's why Jesus can say that I can see without seeing, and I can hear without hearing. And all we have to do is think of the marriage relationship. You can be looking directly at your husband, ladies, and if you are not the one to whom his soul is being captivated by at that moment, he could be looking right through you as you're communicating to him and not hear a word you said, especially if there's a TV behind him. It's just a fact. If you talk to your children, you look at the same pile of clothes and they see the same pile that you do, but do they understand that that's a problem? They can see without seeing, just as we as men can hear without hearing because we're stepping into our nothing box and we tune everything else out. So the chances of the message being processed and then acted upon are usually compromised. Jesus also spoke of this earlier in Matthew's gospel. We're going to pull in from other places in Matthew. Matthew 5.8, these people honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. If there's anything that just grieves the Lord is that we will stand and praise him, but yet we could, our hearts are not engaged. It's not about the words. It's not about the actions. It's about what's the heart? What fills it? Where is it coming from? Is it a full heart or is it an empty heart? So back to, Matthew, to the disciples' question in Matthew. Why, Lord, do you speak in parables? And I want to give a little bit of a background here. The context of Matthew chapters 1 through 12, Jesus is primarily speaking to general audiences because just like you and I, we would be curious. If you hear of a guy who's coming along who absolutely ha- he's healing people. He's giving sight to the blind. He's raising the dead. He's, not, he's a man who speaks with authority and not like the dry sticks that they were listening to in synagogue. This man had power. This man was communicating. He was making sense. He was offering the kingdom of heaven to them. But other people simply saw it as the circus being in town, and so they wanted to see the sideshow. So Jesus is performing miracles, hoping that they'll make the connection between the one who's making these miracles possible and that the kingdom of heaven is near. Otherwise, he couldn't be doing the things that he's doing. But by the time you get to chapter 12, the honeymoon is about to end, or at least it's beginning to fade. Because he's accused in chapter 12 of Matthew of being a bad rabbi, of violating Torah. And they'd say, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. They're mowing their yard on a Sunday. (laughs) Guys are so generous. Even though you're healing and you're performing these works, they're saying, you can't do that. If you were a good rabbi, you'd know that. So they accuse him of being a bad rabbi. That's just the beginning. And then they want to kill him. Usually the honeymoon's over if somebody's ready to kill you. I'd say, party's over. But then Jesus continues. It says people followed him, and he healed all of their sick. Now, it doesn't say they came to faith. It just says that they were being healed. And, of course, they'd follow him. If you had a chronic headache, if you had a migraine, and you've been living with that or other types of, of physical problems, wouldn't you go to someone who felt who could do that for you, who could provide, heal you? And then he exorcises a demon from a boy, and he's accused of casting out Satan, been the power of Satan. And that's where Jesus says, a house divided cannot stand. Why would Satan cast out Satan? And then he goes into what some have called the unforgivable sin, um, committing sin against the Holy Spirit. So when the Pharisees come up to him at this point, after all of this, Jesus has performed all of these signs and wonders. They say, teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. And Jesus is going, oy What have I been doing? And that's exactly why Jesus says they will have eyes, but they won't see. They will have ears, but they're deaf. They don't get it. So we get to chapter 13. Jesus begins to narrow his teaching to just a few, exclusively, primarily his 12 and a few others. They're still continuing to follow him, not just because the circus is there, but because they actually believe the kingdom of heaven is among them. And so from that time forward, he speaks exclusively in parables. And we see this in chapter 13 on. And so in essence, this is what I believe is happening here. If you don't believe my words, we can put this up on the screen, believe my works. Jesus said, even if you don't believe that I am the Messiah, believe my works. But since my works aren't convincing enough, now you'll have to work to understand my words. You're going to have to dissect this a little bit. You're going to have to be deliberately trying to understand what the message is. So I'm going to speak in parables. The harder soul in which the message of the kingdom sticks is that which is truly seeking, longing, thirsty. The soul that understands that it is in ruin. The soul that understands that it is in poverty. Because again, eyes and ears are worthless unless there is a heart conditioned to recognize what is right in front of it. And we can go back to Matthew's gospel again earlier to the very famous parts of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Beatitudes. If we go back to Matthew 5, take a look at this. Notice what he says. Jesus says, blessed are the, what? Poor, poor in spirit, not poor materially, for theirs is the, what? Kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit. How are, who has eyes to see the kingdom of heaven? It's those who recognize their, soul, their soul's poverty. Their soul's emptiness. That they are not one with their creator. Their souls are anxious. They're, they're, they're searching. And then he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will what? See. God. Doesn't mean you have physical eyes. You have blind people that can come to faith. It people who understand what is there right in front of them because they're conditioned. Their heart is in a place where they're ready to recognize and respond to what their eyes and ears see and hear. That's what the kingdom is about. So you could say Jesus employs parables to both reveal and to conceal. And I like to think of it as playing this hide-and-seek game. But Jesus is really bad at this game. He cheats. Because what he does is he'll hide, and then as we're looking for him, he occasionally he'll do this. <clears throat> he'll clear his throat, thus giving away his position. See, he's not playing this game with us. He says, I will not force myself. He respects, he has enough dignity. We have enough dignity from him to know he will not force himself on us but he will also not hide without giving himself away. Now, another way I like to illustrate parables, and I, I, I don't know if you, I, as a guy, and I want you to appreciate this, I know what a nesting box is. Can you give me some love? I went to Hobby Lobby. I, I walked into Hobby Lobby yesterday, and I, I must be allergic to styrofoam and fake flowers because I start itching. Get me out of here.
1: But I found
0: these. These are nesting boxes. I thought, what a great way to illustrate what you do with a parable. Because Todd's talking about how they are in the shadows. And that's a great metaphor for what they are. But it's always easy to take a parable and say, oh, this is what it's about. Especially when you look at the parables that we're looking at today. But that's not exactly the case. Um, I want to show you that in just a minute here. But let's go into the parable. Let's read that together. If we can put that up there. Not read it together. I'll read it for you. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Two very short parables back to back. The only, one, the only time they're in the Bible is in the Gospel of Matthew, no other. And I like to think of them as twins, but fraternal twins, not identical twins, because identical twins, they share the exact same DNA. These parables have some things in common, but there are other things that they differ in. I want to kind of break that down for you. The first man stumbles upon the treasure by accident, while the man in the second parable, the pearl broker, he is deliberately searching for the pearls. The first parable likens the kingdom of heaven to something that's buried in the ground, not immediately visible. The second is like a merchant seeking a specific. He's going after the finest of the finest of this particular um, item. The first one mentions joy in the discovery. The second one doesn't, although based on the response of the second man, the pearl merchant, I think joy is understood. But they're twins in that. Number one, they both involve a find of immense value, and both men understand it and recognize it, and both men liquidate all their assets in order to acquire the treasure. So let's go back to verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden, that's a key word, in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had to buy that field and bought that field. So what's the message? Well, I think the parables are like buried treasure. It's not always going to yield its fruit without a little bit of work. So let's burrow into it a little bit. Because you can look at this parable and say, okay, well, Jesus is talking about acquiring real estate. This is a real estate parable. This is the earliest REMAX reference. (laughs) How about criminal trespassing on someone's property? Is that the focus? Is that what you want to take away today? Don't walk on other people's lawns. That's just rude. Okay. The ethics of discovering treasure on another's property and buying it out from underneath them from an unsuspecting owner. Is that what the parable's about? How about how pearls form in an oyster in the dark over time through an irritant? Oh, you'd be amazed what people come up with. How about buying our way into the kingdom of heaven? Well, that's never been attempted. Sarcasm. It's very nice. Isn't it colorful? Thank you. The treasure is Israel or Jesus himself. Now, there's a lot of... different commentators on this. I'm not taking that view. I could see why. Is Jesus our treasure? Well, everybody here is going to say, yes. Is Israel a treasured? Yes. But is that the specific application? Is that the nugget? Is that the thing that Christ wants us to pull from this? So we have to get down to this. What is this part here? Okay. So he's going to talk about this, but it's something very, very valuable. So we have to determine what is this? What is the kingdom? As he talks about it as being fine pearls. Okay, so let's go down a little bit deeper here. <clears throat> it says that the treasure was hidden in the field in verse 44. Now, where do you store <clears throat> items of value? Your most treasured possessions. I'm not talking about your children, because they were obviously, that's, I'm going to just assume that. <laughs> you lock them in a room. <laughs> where do you put your valuables? Safe deposit box? Or have you lost all your treasure out of, <laughs> hidden away? I was at the Somerset Festival over at Clement Park. Did you guys go to that? There's like 300 classic cars. And I asked these guys, they're just sitting around, you know. Yeah, I take that car out twice a year. It's my baby. Last of the time it's sitting in a dark garage under a tarp. <laughs> That's what he's doing with his valuable. What do you do with valuables? Where do you put them? Well, turn the clock back if you're in Jesus' day. What do you do with your valuables? And There's no banks. There's no safety deposit boxes, you don't have guards, you're not the emperor, you're not Herod, you don't have guards that can take care of your property and guard it, you stick it in the ground. And that's what they did, a lot of them. But what happens if you stick your your treasure in the ground and then you die and you don't tell anybody? Well, then somebody else is gonna end up coming around and they're plowing a field and they go clunk, they're gonna hit that thing and go, okay, how much you want for the land? I know a little something something about that property. That's what they did. If you look at the Dead Sea Scrolls, for instance, how long did it take before we found those? The, the community, the Essenes by the west bank of the, Red, of the Dead Sea, they hid those babies because those were, that's their life. They, they considered the scrolls. That was the, it, was so, it was their value. It was what they, that was the pearl. And you put them some, when The Romans are coming. We're going to stick them in caves. When did we find them? First century to 1946. I'd say they did a good job. They also preserved them. They were intact. You can see a picture of right there. So they didn't have safety deposit boxes. So it makes sense that they're going to find treasure in the earth. How about the man in this parable? Unlike the man in the next parable, this man happens upon a treasure of great value on another man's property, not his own. So he wasn't deliberately seeking the treasure. We don't know the exact circumstances. It's not important. It's not the point of the parable. But he finds it because he has eyes to see it. Some of you are very good at scanning the parking lot for coins, you can see, it, you know, got great eyesight. You can see a quarter. Oh, there's a quarter. Well, he happened upon this. He had eyes to see. Here's what I believe the central theme is of these twin parables. If we can put that up, there it is. The central theme of these twin parables is that the kingdom of heaven is of immense value, and, it's, and it characterizes different ways that we come to access citizenship into the kingdom of heaven. Now, if we had time and we had people stand up in here and say, I was the guy who stumbled upon the treasure. but I, Or I'm the guy or I'm the gal that actually was seeking. I was, in a, I was studying world religions. There was an emptiness in my heart. I had just come out of a really bad relationship or I had just lost a fortune. Where something happened to me, I was, I was depressed. I was, I, I was feeling like I was hollow inside. And God brought someone into my life. To give you an illustration of the first person who was not deliberately seeking... When I was at a church in Virginia, there was a woman who stood up one day and shared how she, like the man who discovered the treasure buried, she said, I came to Christ because somebody at the old Roy dog food factory, when he was filling the bag with dog food, a 50-pound bag, he dropped or she dropped a tract. You know what tracts are? We don't use those anymore um, because it's online. But we put a, he put a tract, a, a paper pamphlet, that describe like the Roman road, the way to salvation. And he put that. And we don't know if that was just one of those or he put several. But she's pouring the bag of dog food out into the bowl and this thing falls out. She reads it and she comes to faith. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Is that, I mean, is that, that's the exact, I think, the idea here. Of She came to the kingdom through a bag of dog food that happened to have something in it of immense value, certainly more than the nine ninety nine she paid for the food. That's, I think, what he's talking about here. But the second parable, the pearl, it will reveal another type of seeker who gains citizenship in the kingdom of heaven a different way. We'll talk about that in a minute. Now, how about the treasure? In another setting, Jesus drew a direct connection between the heart, which I believe is the seat of desire, of longing, the place of the will, the place of our affections, what possesses our hearts, what captivates our hearts. And a tie between that and what we consider a value, because we are constantly processing what we consider to be valuable. We're appraisers at heart. We're always appraising. Jesus said in Matthew 6:11, again, borrowing from Matthew's gospel, "Where your treasure is, there will your affections be." Yeah." So what is the treasure? I, I alluded to it quickly here in my little nesting box illustration. But Jesus answers that pretty much right up front. He says the kingdom of heaven is like. He's talking about what the kingdom of heaven is like. He's not, I don't believe he's talking about himself. I don't believe he's talking about Israel. Be, both of those could be considered a treasure, but I don't believe that's what he's talking about. Why? Well, if we go back to Matthew 3, 2, and I don't have a slide for this, but it's John the Baptist when he recognizes jesus right before his baptism he says repent for the kingdom of heaven is near and when he said near he was talking geographically too because jesus was right there there he is there's the kingdom but you're going to have to repent first because you're still clinging to this uh, idea that you can somehow be righteous enough to gain access so the treasure, I believe, in this parable is obtaining citizenship in the kingdom of heaven and recognizing that, the va- recognizing that the value of such a find is priceless. And it's responding accordingly. Because when we find something or someone of value, we go after it. We don't have to be taught that. And I think MasterCard did a masterful job of capturing this whole idea of the fact that some things money can't buy. So if we can roll a couple of these. Enjoy. Enjoy. $30 hey, that's okay, Wendy. That was a good carry. You're still the man. You're the man! Latte $4 Ooh, Shake it off, Johnny. Rub some dirt on it. New piano $3,000 All right, guys. They're not saying boo. They're saying movers. Supporting your team Priceless Sorry, right, Bobby. You still got the best dog in the neighborhood. There are some things money can't buy. For everything else, there's MasterCard. This is v Right. Backpack $20 Being with people who understand you Priceless There are some (laughs) things money can't buy For discount stores, there's Master Party (laughs) Sometimes you just need the funk I don't know You get yourself doing that Earth, Wind & Fire comes on the radio And you find yourself doing one of these you say, drop the mirror ball Let's get down Money has its limitations. Some of the most valuable moments in our lives have nothing to do with cost. It's simply because we experience something that you can never buy. You can never reproduce any other way. Um, however, many have tried to buy their way in. In fact, in Acts chapter 8... When uh, Philip was in Samaria and there was a man named Simon the Magician, and Simon the Magician, he made his living off of illusions. And so he sees the apostles laying hands on people and miraculous signs and wonders. Instead of going, oh, there's the kingdom, it's near. He says, hey, how much can I give you to be able to do some of those tricks? So in, in Acts chapter 8, verse 13, it says, Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, give this authority to me as well, so that everyone who, on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter says to him, may your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You can't. Now, money is very, can be very helpful in promoting and furthering the work of the kingdom. That's what we're supposed to do with our we're stewards. So we take our money, our assets, and we say, how does this help to further access to the kingdom for others? That's a great question. But at the heart of these parables is the definition or recognition of value. And I went to the dictionary just to see what would be the definition. And it's really interesting. The worth of something in terms of the amount of other things for which it can be exchanged. Now, of course, Matthew expressed this even earlier. Matthew 16, 26. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul. Well, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? What is the price of my soul? What is the price of my affections? What does it cost to captivate me or you? Is there a price? What will I chase after? Well, materially, we have no problem when we take this parable pyramid and we say, we go back down to the bottom layers and we say, I understand the value of some things because a lot of my treasure goes to that. Let's go, on, let's go look at the houses we live in. I get this little piece of paper every year from the county appraiser that says, here's your house valuation statement, which lately it's been devaluation statement. <laughs> here's how much it's no longer, it's how much is devalued or, or gone down in appraised value. And so now I have less equity in the house because the market has changed. But What is our biggest investment? If you own a home or you rent, your biggest check every month or your biggest bank draft is your mortgage. Why? Because we value a home. We value something that we can someday look back on and say, this is ours. We like a roof over our heads. We like a secure place to live, a clean place to live. We like being in a neighborhood. We like being in community. So that's important. But it's no guarantee that when we invest in a house, it's going to pay back. Think of those people in Four Mile Canyon. Oh, my goodness. And they're having to decide, do I rebuild or not? After something of value to them has been destroyed. Cars. Hmm. That's where your car is going to end up, by the way. I just, I hate to be the one to break it to you. <laughs> is the amount of money I paid for my car the same as I could get for it today? Oh, man, that's a hard thing, isn't it? So hard. So hard. Well, if you go out to the parking lot when you will this afternoon to get into your vehicle, I want you to listen very carefully because what you're going to hear is the sound of nickels, dimes, and quarters circling the storm drain. That's coming out of your car, by the way, and mine. It's just depreciating, you know, just depreciating. It's going down in value. What we spend a lot of money on these vehicles because we want to go in style. But we're learning, aren't we? The recession has taught us something, is that what do we really, really, really value? It's bringing that down to, the, to the, the, the bottom here, or the top in this case. What is the value? What is the pearl? Because that's what I'm going to invest in, and I'm going to just decide to do with other th- do without other things. How about education? I got six years before I got to be thinking about college for my daughter. Some of you are already there. How many of you have children in college? Or Okay, wow. Um, I hope you let the plate go right by you when we pass the offer. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry, Todd, I didn't mean that. Education. I met with one of my former youth group students. He was in my youth group in mid, early 90s. He's now a medical doctor. He's he has a family practice, and he told me, he said, "We. I remember these talks you and I had together about borrowing, about debt." And I said, "Oh my goodness, what did I say?" But then he, but he, he wasn't blaming me. But he was saying, "You know how much I owe my schools on student loans? Three hundred and fifty thousand dollars." He's paying an, a 1800 a month. Now, those of you that are in financial, the financial business, um, how, much, how long is that going to take him to pay that off? And he was so frustrated because he said, I, want, I believed God called me to be a physician, but now I'm strapped with this payment. I want to go on missions trips. I want to be a medical missionary, but I can't because I've got this $1,800 payment. And that we have this idea that physicians bring all this money in, but they don't. They've got a lot of other commitments and a lot of other responsibilities. But $1,800, but he saw the value of his education because he truly believed God had gifted him in the area of science and in people skills. And he's very good, but now he's got this thing that he's got to pay back. Again, we turn to Matthew's gospel. Where your treasure is, there will my heart, your heart be also. So my heart, which again, as I said, my affections, my obsessions, my time, my loyalties, my money, it always follows after what I appraise is valuable. Because again, we are constantly appraising, aren't we? We appraise everything, every relationship, every person. Another example of what I believe, this is an amazing correspondence, is, is music. I have to bring songs in every time I come. I, I just can't help myself because I think that's part of our culture. And what I'm about to have played for you, um, if you feel the need to stand up, do we have a mirror ball? I don't know if we do. Um, anybody wearing a leisure suit? Um, some of this is going to be uh, Motown, but um, these two songs do, are a great way. Is there one? Where? Oh, oh you got to be kidding me. Oh, the, did you put that up since the first service, John? Oh, that is too funny. Okay, now, okay, we got to keep that on. This, look at the words and think about the value that this, these songs are expressing of the person that they're focusing on. To slow it down a bit on uh, W KWBc. So find your honey. Wow. Oh, you guys, I feel the love. I, 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 we need the funk. We get it. We listen to that. Does a man who loves a woman, does he think about the cost? He'll spend every last dime. We go nuts. We go goofy. We're not thinking. We're not talking about the, the spreadsheets. We love someone. We will go over any mountain or cross any river. Isn't that true? In any relationship because we see the value of it. I love those songs. That's exactly what the parable is talking about. The kingdom of heaven is among us. It's here. What value does it have? What place in, the, in, in, that, in that center of my being, my heart, that is being competed for its affection and for it's trying to be captivated by lesser loves? We have no problem identifying with these songs, but transfer this message to the kingdom of God and the value of recognizing that the kingdom of God has come and can be accessed through faith in Christ Jesus. And we somehow don't get it. When a man loves a woman, when a a man-woman understands that the kingdom of God is among us and sees it, has ears to hear and eyes to see. So these parables teach the value of an intangible kingdom intangible, concrete language and experience. We get the material aspect of this every single time. That's why Jesus brings it into the country. You, you know somebody who's walked on a field and found treasure? That's like winning the lottery, finding the pearl of grace. That's the same example as, as to somebody who comes across money that they didn't earn. They're certainly going to do whatever they can to obtain it. So it begs the question, why am I surprised when all the things of lesser value fail to hold or capture my heart? because I'm I am an appraiser I am a treasure hunter I'm looking but boy will I give up a lot for my soul and so will you aren't we struggling with that I want to get to this you know I want to get to the pearl I want to get to that jewel I want to get to that exquisite most important valuable thing in my life but there's so many things that are begging for my attention and as I prepare this passage I'm, I'm asking you to do the same thing and that is take some inventory because I can think of many things in this world I've been willing to exchange my soul for. I love Jacob and Esau. Esau comes in. He's famished. He's a man. He's saying, where's my can of chunky soup? Dude. Who's brother who took home ec, And his brother's got this stew going on the stove. He smells it. Oh, my goodness. I've got to have some. Oh, I can't. Unless I get your birthright. So what does Esau do? He's a man. He's thinking with a stomach. He gives him his birthright. He said, have it, man. I'm famished. So Isaac goes, yeah, baby. You know, he gets a birthright. So he gets, he's now got the, all the privileges and rights of the firstborn. But he's, he sells his soul for a bowl of soup. I do that every day. I don't see the value of saying, can I go hungry in other ways to ex- enjoy and, and, and maintain my, what I understand to be my birthright, that I am deeply loved by God. That I am a part of his kingdom. He robes me in righteousness. He seats me with his son. Why doesn't that captivate me? That bothers me. It should. It should bother you. That's why we need each other, by the way. I want to point out one tiny word here, and I'll bring this down to the end. Notice the word uh, in verse 44 of joy. Remember, it's in the first parable, but not the second. Don't miss that. He joyfully sold all of his stuff in anticipation of, inquiring, of acquiring this amazing find in the same way that a man who loves a woman can't help himself. It is not a calculated decision. It's a response to discovering something of great value, something or someone for whom a price tag is irrelevant. I don't know about you, but I've bought a lot of stuff over the years that no longer continues to capture my heart. It's in a garage sale or it's in a landfill somewhere, especially when the extended warranty runs out. Then the love is lost because I know it's going to break. All right. The last part of the parable, the last one, which is the twin, the fraternal twin of the first, verses 45 and 46. Let's read that. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and he sold everything he had and he bought it. And again, the second of the two twins has a slightly different spin than the first one. As I mentioned, unlike the man who stumbled upon a treasure in the ground, this man was on a quest for it. He was looking for fine pearls. He knew pearls, and he would know of an exquisite one when he found it. Some people enter the kingdom of heaven without intentionally seeking it. I don't know which camp you're in, but others enter it because they are seeking it. They know there's something of value that exceeds everything they currently possess, because everything they possess is depreciating. God allows us, by the way, to accumulate for a reason. This country is obsessed with happiness, and yet we continue to to fill our storage units, and we wonder why we are ruined in our soul. It's not meant to. not meant to fill. And our world offers a buffet line of ideas. Those of you who have kids in college, you understand what happens. Not just when they get in college, but it's 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 amplified, and all the ideas and the ideologies and the philosophies and the worldviews that come against them, if they don't understand the value of the pearl, they're going to buy something much cheaper. They're going to go after an imitation. Are they grounded in the truth? Do they know the value of the kingdom of heaven? We've got to give them that foundation because we're seekers, we're restless wanderers, and I think Saint Augustine. Captured it very well when he said this, that our hearts are restless. That's an understatement, I think. Until they find their rest in thee. Until my heart is united with the heart of God. My mind is awakened by the Spirit of God. I am turned on, so to speak. I become alive to God. So in conclusion, God's been asking me all week, Dan, where is your treasure? And what will you give? And what have you given in exchange for your soul? Because folks... There's a lot of people that want to have a piece of my soul. And I don't, want to, I don't want to play around with other lovers. I don't. Neither do you. Because I know when I have heard my father's voice. Um, Craig Blomberg, who I know you've had speak here before, amazing New Testament scholar, he said this. Let me put that up on the screen. Oh, there it is. Jesus is calling both the individual who is diligently searching for spiritual riches as well as the person who is entirely apathetic towards God to give up whatever stands between them and the kingdom. So as we leave here today, and what I want to continue to do in my own heart is to say, Father, forgive me first of all for abandoning my, my first love and, and cheapening you by seeking a pearl that is of greater, of lesser value. It's like these pearls. I got them for two bucks at Hobby Lobby. When they're in the car, they'll probably fall off the string. Then I'll have my daughter clean it up later. Let's not cheapen the gift. Let's understand what has been given to us. We have access to the kingdom. It is here. And we can know him. We can know him. And there is joy in the pursuit, isn't there? And in prayer, in closing, I'd like you all to stand. And what I'd like to do is read this together. I don't know where I found this. I wish I could say I wrote this. I usually don't write prayers or have prayers read. But I thought... You know, what a great way to provide a benediction as we leave today. And I know you're seeing this for the first time, but as, let's, I want you to read it with me out loud. And make this kind of the... Lord, I'm still processing what Dan said. I'm still processing what the parable is about. But maybe we can end on this note and make this our, our request to God as we leave here as a part of a community, um, as part of the kingdom family. So let's pray and say this together. Here we go. Lord Jesus... Reveal to me the true riches of your kingdom. Help me to set my heart on you alone as the treasure beyond compare with any other. Free my heart of any inordinate desires or attachment to other things that I may freely give to you all that I have in joy and gratitude for all that you have given to me. May I always find joy and delight in your presence. And all God's people said, all right, God bless you all. Thank you for coming. You are dismissed.